You're listening to the Cornerstone Family Worship Center podcast. Making disciples, building community, and growing together in faith and love. are going to get into uh, continue on in our uh, series right now 2020 vision 2020 vision this is part five of that series and I have subtitled it this morning with the subtitle of seeing happiness as Jesus does so the whole premise of 2020 vision is to try to get ourselves to develop a sharper, keener, spiritual vision of things. To see things as God sees them, not as we see them. Because when we look around us, we can say, oh boy, there's all kinds of trouble and we can't, we can't do this and we can't reach that and uh, this is too big of a task for us. But that's not what God sees. God sees his power going before us and able to accomplish great things. Amen? So we want to get in tune with that vision. We want to have that kind of vision spiritually. So this morning we're talking about seeing happiness as Jesus does. There are a lot of people uh, who think that they obtain their happiness apart from God. But true happiness can only come from God, our creator. And the reason is because he made us that way. He made us in such a way that inside of each and every one of us, the the true, the greatest happiness that we could ever know will only come to us from him and from being in fellowship and in communion with him. The happiness that most people in this world seek is only temporal, tangible, material things. Much of what we call happiness is based upon happenstance. If I win the lottery, then I'll be happy. If I buy this new car, I'll be happy. If I could just find someone to marry, I'll be happy. Some people are laughing there because uh, half of the people that are married today are saying, if I could just get out of this thing, I'd be happy. Oh, nobody here. Happiness doesn't come outside of us. Happiness doesn't come from these things. If I buy a new home, I'll be happy, right? All of these things bring us a certain sense of happiness. We, I don't think we would deny that, that there are, there's a certain uh, happiness that comes over us because of these things. But it's only temporary. The lottery money can all be spent. Amen. Have you ever seen some of the documentaries that are uh, done on people who have actually won the lottery and they're in worse shape financially today than they were before they won the lottery? Because they had all of this money and then they drove themselves, you know, to just spend in this money. And next thing you know, they were in debt over their heads and they're, they're in worse shape today than they were before the money came. So the money can all be spent. And if, if your happiness is wrapped up in that, Money, then when the money's gone, so is your happiness. 
a marriage can end up on the rocks. The home you bought can burn down. All of these things can come to an end. And if your happiness is only because of those things, so does your happiness end. Amen. But there is a happiness that exceeds the happiness of this world. The happiness of knowing God. A lot of people don't, they don't factor that in. They don't think about that at all. But there's a great depth and a great happiness that cannot be taken away from us once we come into the knowledge of God, once we come to know God. Of being a part of his eternal kingdom. Of being a part of his eternal family. Amen. In Matthew chapter 5, which is the beginning of Christ's Sermon on the Mount, Jesus gives eight characteristics of the kind of happiness that will last for eternity. Isn't that the kind you want? The kind that will last for eternity? That nothing in this world, no person in this world, no thing in this world can ever take that from you? That's the kind I want. Let's go to Matthew chapter 5. And we're going to be reading uh, verses 1 through 12. And we're going to break them down a little, little by little as we go. Lord, again, we bow our hearts before you. In humble, with humble hearts, Lord, we come. We've come to eat bread today, the bread of life. We have come to draw near to you. We have come to ask that our eyes be open spiritually. To be able to see things as you see them. And not the way that we so often see them. Lord, we love you. We love what you've done for us. We love the promises that you've given to us. And we love your word. As we delve into it right now, we're trusting you to open our spiritual understanding of these things. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Chapter 5 of Matthew, verse 1. And seeing the multitudes, he went up into a mountain, and when he was set, his disciples came unto him, and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And before we go too far, we're going to talk about just that word blessed, because these eight uh, things that we're going to look at start out with blessed be the person who does thus and so. So the word blessed comes from a Greek word, makrios. Makrios is the way it's pronounced. And it means supremely blessed. Blessed by extension or to be enlarged. In other words, there's more depth to it than the happiness that comes to us by way of happenstance. What we call fate or coincidence or circumstance, or luck, some people may have refer to it. It's not based, this happiness is not based on an event, it's not based on an experience, it is a deep, joy-filled contentment in the innermost being. Barclay, a scholar, uh, writes this, he says that it is that joy which is completely independent of all the chances and changes of life. It's independent of any of those things. Because God knows things change in life. Amen? Yep. Things can change in a heartbeat in this life. 
But he says it, it is a joy that is so completely independent of any of those things. Any changes or chance in life. This supreme blessedness is reserved for those who have a right standing with God and who are guided by the principles of his kingdom. They reflect the ethics or the standards of his kingdom. These are referred to as the Beatitudes. The Beatitudes. I read uh, or somebody said Beatitudes means for us as Christians, our attitudes are to be this. Be attitudes. Let your attitudes be thus and so. Let your attitudes be this, be based upon these principles. Amen. So this first beatitude mentioned here uh, concerns those who are poor in spirit. And notice that he does not say, blessed are the poor. Blessed are the poor. Poverty has never blessed anyone. Poverty has never blessed anyone. And poverty is a part of the curse that is upon this earth. It's a part of it. You ask people that live in poverty, and they're certainly not going to say, oh, how blessed I am. And a lot of times we get things uh, misconstrued about money and about wealth, because uh, a lot of times, especially, and we're hearing a lot about this right now in this political season, that people who have a lot of money are somehow, some way, evil people. And the only way that they could have gotten all of that money is to be evil. And therefore, they should give it away. They should relinquish it. They should give it up to me. Right? <laughs> I mean, that's what people would wish, that it would be given to them. And uh, <clears throat> so... Uh, you know, so sometimes people think because people have money, that means that they're evil or that they're covetous. Now, certainly money can continue uh, to make someone covetous if that's their mindset, if that's their heart. You remember hearing probably that Rockefeller asked, was asked how much more money does he want in life? He was one of the richest men in the, on the planet. And he said, one more dollar. Just one more dollar. So a person can be covetous who has a lot of money, but it doesn't necessarily mean because they have a lot of money that they are covetous. There are a lot of people with a lot of money who are certainly a lot more generous than people who just have an average amount of money. And the flip side of that coin is just because someone is poor doesn't mean that they are not covetous. Because I think a lot of times you will find the people who do not have covet everything other people do have. So the Bible does not say that money is the root of all evil. It says that the love of money is the root of all evil. Amen. So Jesus doesn't say blessed are the poor. He said blessed are the poor in spirit. So he's saying those who are truly humble in their hearts. They see themselves as spiritually bankrupt without Christ. Spiritually bankrupt if they don't have Christ. This person's heart is broken because of his sinful condition. 
Psalm 34, verse 18. The psalmist says there, The Lord is nigh unto them that are of a broken heart, and saveth such as be of a contrite spirit. Not a broken heart because your girlfriend left you, but a broken heart of contrition, of sorrow for our sinful condition. Blessed are the poor in spirit in that sense. Isaiah said something in Isaiah chapter 57, verse 15. For thus saith the high and lofty one that inhabiteth eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place with him also that is of a contrite and humble spirit to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. Again, contrition, broken heart because of our spiritual condition. God welcomes such into his kingdom. Blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Verse four, blessed are they that mourn for they shall be comforted. This isn't somebody who just mopes around all the time. That's not necessarily mourning. But this characteristic is closely related to this first one. Not only is this person mournful over their own condition, but the plight of others as well. Blessed are they that mourn. They mourn for those who are suffering around them. Those who are blinded and bound by sin and sorrow and sickness and disease. You know, we see on the television a lot of times ads. And they come in between the program that you're watching or the movie that you're watching. Or the sports event that you're watching. And then you'll see hungry little children with their bellies sticking out. And they have no clean water. You know, I, I just, the, the thought of that kind of upsets me and makes me mad because just a, a couple or maybe even one of the wealthiest people on the planet could provide water for every one of those human beings. Think about that. And we look at that and we see that and we get so calloused in our world that we see that advertisement and we chuck it off right away. <laughs> and we do it by saying, well, I can't give to everything. Right? Come on. And we can justify our actions by saying, well, I can't give to that anyway, so I'll flip the station, watch something else until the commercial's over. Have you ever done that? Don't, don't raise your hand. But blessed are those who mourn, those who mourn for the the sadness and the sorrow they see around in the world. They mourn for others. Romans chapter 12, verse 15. Paul tells the Christians there, rejoice with them that do rejoice and weep with them that weep. Verse 5, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. The meek will one day rule and reign with Christ. We see that throughout the Bible prophecy, right straight through the uh, book of Revelation. 
that the meek are one day going to rule and reign with Christ. But this meekness, a lot of times, again, in our minds, when we hear the word meekness, we think of someone who is, who is weak or someone who's a doormat, someone who allows people to just walk all over them and trample all over them. That's a person who is meek. No, that's a wrong understanding of, of the biblical meekness. Moses is said to have been the meekest man that ever was. I don't think that he was a wuss. I don't think that he was just a pushover, that he was somebody that could just be walked upon. So meekness is not weakness. Meekness is strength under control. And Jesus was our best example of this in Philippians 2, verses 5 through 7. Paul admonishes the Philippian Christians there. He says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. So even though he was God in his very nature, he didn't think of that as something to be used to his advantage in the earth. He didn't go around doing that from place to place. Instead, he took upon himself the form and the demeanor of a servant. He came, and wherever he went, he had a servant mentality. He touched people who were hurting. He prayed for the little children when his disciples didn't even realize and understand how valuable and how important they were. Oh, mothers, fathers, tell those children to get away from the master. He's busy healing people right now. No, he said, no, you, you, you bring those little children over here to me. And he blessed the children. Servant-minded. Paul says, let this mind be in you. The same attitude, the same mindset that was in Christ, let it be in you. If there was anyone who could have been puffed up or arrogant or walked around uh, showing himself as being something, it would have been Jesus. But he didn't do that. The scholar Bruce says, the men who suffer wrong without bitterness or the desire for revenge. That's a meek person. They, they are meek and they have an attitude that does not get bitter when someone wrongs them. Strength under control. Amen. I pray that I have that spirit. I pray that I have that attitude because offenses will come. People will offend you. They'll offend you rightly sometimes for things you've done or said. And they'll also offend you wrongly for things that you never did, but they concocted in their minds about you. But the person who is meek will not take that offense and hold it and become bitter because of it. And that's what Bruce was saying. Without bitterness or desire for revenge. Verse 6. We're trying to see things as Jesus sees them, right? That's, what, that's why we're going through every one of these things here. We want to see things in the way that Jesus sees them. And so he said, blessed are they 
which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. And this speaks of a continual longing for God, a thirst for his spirit and his presence. Amen. We want God and we want all of God that we can get. We want God and all of his promises and every promise that we can get. You know, it's not a, it's not a, 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 a true humility that comes from a heart that says, oh, I, just re- I don't really want anything more of the Lord. No. It's the one thing that he tells us to covet and to want and to desire more of him than we've ever had before. Like the little chorus we used to sing around here, I want more of Jesus, more and more and more. I want more of Jesus than I ever had before. I want more of his great love, rich and full and free. I want more of Jesus, so I'll give him more of me. <laughs> Amen. What a, what a spiritual truth in that little chorus. Amen. So we give ourselves to him and we're hungry and we're thirsty after his righteousness. And so this, this says here, blessed, supremely blessed is that person who has that kind of an attitude. Psalm, uh, Psalms 42 verses 1 and 2. The psalmist says here, as the heart or the deer panteth after water brooks. So panteth my soul after thee, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? He's a hungry guy. He's a thirsty guy. He's a thirsty guy just like the deer is thirsty. Amen? In Psalm 63, verse 1, again it says, O God, thou art my God. Early will I seek thee. My soul thirsts for thee. My flesh longeth for thee in a dry and thirsty land where no water is. Amen. Church, in short, to be a blessed person, it is a person who has that hunger and that thirst continually for God. The people who go after God are the people who are blessed of God. This doesn't come by just putting your brain in neutral. Oh, if I have the blessing of the Lord, that's okay. And oh, if I don't have the blessing of the Lord, that's okay. No, it's a, it's a person who desires. Desires God with all of their heart. Desires the righteousness of God in every situation in their life. Amen. Those who empty themselves out in hunger for God are those who become filled with God. Amen. Are you hungry this morning? Are you thirsty this morning? I'm not talking about going out to breakfast now. I'm talking about hungry and thirsty for the things of God. Amen. It will show up in your life if you are. Amen. Verse 7. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Remember that saying, what goes around comes around? Well, it's applicable right here in that verse. Usually we think of that in negative terms, amen? If you do somebody wrong, it's going to come back and bite you somewhere along the line, amen? But it's also can be taken in a positive manner, that if you'll do good unto others, good will come back your way. If you're generous with others, generosity will be shown to you one day, amen? 
And if you're merciful to other people, you will obtain mercy. Amen. Paul says it this way in uh, Galatians, whatsoever a man sows, that shall he also reap. It doesn't have to do with just sowing your finances or your money. He said, whatsoever. Whatsoever you sow, you will also reap. If you sow your time into doing things that are good and righteous and, and honorable, you will reap those things which are good and righteous and honorable. If you don't, doesn't say this here, but it is implying. If you don't, you won't. Now here's something here. If you haven't marked this one in your Bible, you might want to do so. Proverbs 11, 17. Someone might say, well, this seems a little selfish on our part if we apply this verse of scripture, but it's here for a reason. The merciful man does good for his own soul. The merciful man shows mercy. He shows mercy. He shows mercy over and over and over again. And it will come back to his own soul. Amen. A merciful man does good for his own soul. You want to do your soul some good? Be merciful. Be kind to other people. But he who is cruel troubles his own flesh. Oh, I don't want to be on that side of the fence. Amen. Let's be merciful. Amen. Verse 8, the next beatitude, the next attitude for you to be, for me to be. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Oh, hallelujah. I want to see God. I want to see God in my life, which I, I'm seeing him now. I, not the full glory of God, but I see his hand in my life. I know that he's in my life today because I've received him as my Lord and my Savior. Amen? So uh, by the pureness of our heart, those who are pure in their heart, they shall see God. But there's another promise that we will look at him one day face to face. And man, I'm telling you, if that happened today, it wouldn't be soon enough for me. They used to ask me years ago before Rachel got married. I said, man, I want to go home and just be with Jesus. I want to just go and see Jesus. I want to go and embrace my Savior. I want to go and see all that he has waiting for those who love him. I'm ready to leave this world. And someone would say, well, don't you want to walk your daughter down the aisle? Don't you want to see your grandbabies? Don't you want this? Don't you want that? And I used to say to Rachel, I love you, dear. And I want to walk you down that aisle like any other father would. But if I had a choice right now of going to be with Jesus and staying here to do that, your brother can walk you down the aisle. I'm gone. The choice. That's what Paul said. I'm betwixt the two. I have a desire in my heart to go and be with the Lord. He says, but it's necessary for me to be here for your purposes. Amen. And so for that, I stuck around. And I walked her down the aisle. And I, and I joyfully uh, play with my grandbabies uh, today. And I enjoy that very much. <clears throat> 
but I'm ready to go. I'm as ready to go today as I was that day. Amen. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. God is not looking for an outward appearance of purity. Like the Pharisees of his day, Matthew chapter 23, verses 27 and 28. Jesus rebuked them sharply. He said, woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like unto whited sepulchers, which indeed appear beautiful outward, but are within full of dead men's bones and of all uncleanness. Even so, you are also outwardly you also outwardly appear righteous unto men, but within you are full of hypocrisy and iniquity. Amen. So he rebuked them and he reproved them. He said, you whitewash the outside of the, of the graves, of the tombs that dead people are laying in. You make it all nice. You bring flowers. You make it appear pretty on the outside. He said, but you know inside there, if you open that, that tomb up, you would smell rotten bones inside of there. He said, you know what? He said, you're just like that. Wow. You're just like that. My, what a graphic yes, picture Jesus gave to them. Your hypocrisy is just like that. And so that's why Jesus says here, blessed are those who are pure in their heart. You know, uh, people do a lot of wrong stuff in the world because of their impurity in their heart. But even people who are pure in their heart can make mistakes. Hello? Now you can raise your hand. Ever made one? <laughs> make them all the time. But it doesn't mean that we're impure in our hearts. We have a pure desire, a pure motive of following after the Lord, of being pleasing to the Lord, of making the right choices in this world for the sake of the Lord and his kingdom and the people around us and the people that it will affect. That's our desire. But we still fail and stumble and fumble along the way. Amen. But the pure in heart shall see God. Amen. Proverbs 4.23 says, Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. Keep your heart with all diligence. Watch over your heart. Keep your heart pure. Boy, we're living in a day today where there are so many impure things around us that try to get into our head and get into our spirit and, and try to uh, bind people. And there are people today who are bound by pornography, men and women, in churches, bound by it. God says, keep your heart pure. Titus chapter 1, verse 15. God says in his word there, unto the pure all things are pure, but unto them that are defiled and unbelieving is nothing pure. But even their mind and conscience is defiled. It's defiled. I want to be one of those who have the pure heart for God. And, and you have to keep your heart pure for God. You have to fight and resist in the world we live in. Because there are so many ads and commercials and things that pop up in front of us that we can dwell on it, we can look at it, we can long, linger a little bit longer than we should, or we can snip it in the bud and, and, and immediately turn our face away from it. 
Verse 9, he says, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Those who seek to bring about peace shall be recognized as God's children. Not so with troublemakers. Not so with those who meddle in other people's business. I know in the church, we have a tendency to categorize sins as really, really bad ones. And this one here is not so bad at all. But sin is sin in the eyes of a holy God. If we've broken one commandment, it's as if we've broken them all. Amen? And so it's easy sometimes for some people to justify meddling in other people's business. You need to get a hold of a bunch of nunya scriptures that teach you and show you that certain things in this world is none your business. Things about other people's life is none of your business. And we have evil surmisings and we have things that come into our minds and we let them play out and we wonder what she meant by that. Or wonder what he meant by that. And boy, they walked right past me in church and didn't say a word because their sick mother was in the hospital and they had to get to her quickly. And your wheels are spinning about, she snubbed me, didn't say hi to me. Wonder what's wrong with the pastor. He said hi to everybody else and didn't say hi to me. We don't meddle in other people's business. Proverbs 15, verse 18 says, A wrathful man stirreth up strife, but he that is slow to anger appeases strife. We want to be a healer. We want to be a mender, not a meddler. A mender, bringing people together. One of the greatest things that we can do to bring people into a place of peace is to introduce them to our Lord Jesus Christ and reconcile them unto God so that they can know the, the true peace in this world that they can have in a relationship with him. Proverbs 20, verse 3. It is an honor for a man to cease from strife, but every fool will be meddling. Did you hear who meddles? The fool. Don't be a fool. Don't meddle. Mind your own business. This last one that we're going to look at today is pr probably the beatitude that is most difficult for us to grasp. Blessed, supremely happy. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. In our normal way of thinking, we usually don't think of persecution of any kind a way to happiness let alone persecution 
for righteousness sake. Amen? We, we don't think of that as, as being a, a happy situation at all. But God says that there is something very special about being persecuted for righteousness sake. Now that doesn't mean you go and get up in somebody's face and say, hey, do you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior so that you make the person angry and they're ready to bop you one or chase you off of their porch or whatever. And then you walk away going, hey, I guess I was being persecuted for righteousness. Like, no, you're being persecuted because you're just acting dumb. For righteousness sake has something different. It means that you're doing the right thing, but somebody misconstrues what you're doing or they attach some kind of an evil thing to what you're doing and they persecute you for righteous causes. There's no more righteous cause in this earth today than to present the gospel of Christ to people and to make a stand for the Lord Jesus Christ, to be one of his, to be counted as a Christian in this earth that's becoming violent towards Christians. I was thinking of this as I, as I came to this one here, persecuted for righteousness sake. Most of us right here, sitting right here right now, we really don't even have a clue what it means to be persecuted for righteousness sake. I know some people make a joke of you, call you a preacher at work or this or that, you know, oh yeah, they're one of them. Or somebody in the family might say, oh, here comes the holy rollers. You know, you know that all that stuff goes around even when you don't hear it, yeah. right? That's not persecution. What I thought of when I, when I saw this, and there's been so many, so many more since then, but it stands out, I guess, because of the brightness of the colors of those uniforms of those 11 in that they took at the seashore there and were going to behead them because of their stand for Christ. If you do not deny Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior, we are going to cut your head right off of you. And they knelt there and not a one of them buckled. Not a one of them gave a second thought. As a matter of fact, I heard that there was a testimony of another person who was there being persecuted and they weren't even a Christian, but they were, they were among these 11 and that person gave their life to Christ because he said, I want what they've got. I'm, I'm identifying with them. Whatever they have, I'm identifying with it myself. We can't understand the blessedness in something like that. It's beyond our comprehension. But the things of the kingdom are often just exactly the opposite of the things of this world. The Lord says the way up is not pulling people down off of a ladder and making other people look less than you. He said the way up, the way to be exalted is down. Humble yourself. It's through humility that people are exalted and lifted up by the Lord. Amen? If you want to have, you've got to give. Well, that sounds so opposite. If I give, I won't have. No, he says, if you give, I'll make sure that you have. And so there's so many things in the kingdom that are just opposite, and it seems to be juxtaposed to what this life is. 
And so we may not understand the fullness, we may not understand the depth of this blessedness in this mind and in this earth and in this life. But this is one thing that we do know and we can count on forever until Jesus calls us home. And that is that the word of God is true. The word of God is true. And if he said, this is where the true blessedness is, I want to see as Jesus sees. He says, this is what real happiness is all about. Then I want that happiness. Jesus says, you want happiness? You want blessed? Uh, you want uh, supreme happiness? It's in these blessedness. These words of blessed. Beatitudes. Have this attitude in life. And you will surely be blessed. Amen.